You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. One of the things I love about Jesus is His boldness. Sometimes culturally we paint this picture of Jesus like he's a, some hippie guy who has long, beautiful, flowing hair and wears open-toe sandals and hugs sheep and uh, does all these things. You know, he is uh, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, but he's also the lion of Judah. And a lot of times we don't see that uh, boldness that Jesus has in how he, he calls out everybody. There's, whenever there's an issue that needs to be dealt with, Jesus deals with it. He doesn't back down and say, oh, I need to be polite. I need to be loving hippie guy. He tells it like it is. And the group he always tells, tells it like it is to is the Pharisees. And if you don't know who the Pharisees are, they were uh, the most religious people in Jesus' day. They were Old Testament scholars. They memorized even entire books of the Old Testament and thought they had it figured out better than anybody else. And they thought that because they outwardly looked very clean, that's all that counted, and inwardly, it didn't really matter. And then they would point the finger at other people and say, you know, we know the Bible better than you do, and you need to not only follow the Bible's rules, but also these other rules we made up to make sure we don't break the Bible's rules. And Jesus never had good things to say about the Pharisees, although we should remember uh, the Pharisees had good intentions. Right? Their intentions were to not break God's laws. Their intentions were to know the Bible, but what ended up happening is they, you could say, fell in love with the Bible and not with God. And they had a relationship with the Bible, but not with God. And it caused them again to, to be very concerned with appearances, point the fingers at people. Um, and uh, eventually they ended up murdering Jesus. I mean, they're the ones responsible. Uh, well, I mean, we're all responsible because of sin, but the ones who directly murdered Jesus for saying he was the Son of God were the Pharisees. And again, Jesus never backed down from the Pharisees. He always told them, do it like it is. Before we go into Romans tonight, I want to uh, set this up by reading a little bit out of Luke, where Jesus is very bold uh, to, to call people out on what they need to be called out on. So uh, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 11 to start. If you want to go there, I'll, I'll be reading that. And to see the boldness of Jesus in Luke chapter 11, and we'll start at verse 37. And we see Jesus yelling at the Pharisees and, uh, about their self-righteousness, because that's the big idea for tonight. It's Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37. It says, And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he, being Jesus, went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness, foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass by just the love of God. These you ought to have done, without leaving the others undone. Woe to you Pharisees! For you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things you reproach us also. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers! For you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you! For you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Let's skip down to uh, verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers! 
For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. And now uh, chapter 12, verse 1, the second part of that, just a couple more verses. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And again, bold. That's a little different than the you know, hippie Jesus with the sandals and hugging lambs than a lot of times you hear about. Calling people out on their self-righteousness. Calling out the Pharisees on that. And what we see in the Gospels is Jesus never had a huge problem with people like tax collectors and prostitutes who were repentant of their sin, who knew how sinful they were and turned from that. His main problem, his harshest words were towards self-righteous religious hypocrites. And uh, so tonight, that's what we're talking about, self-righteousness. You know, we're studying through Romans because it's, it's kind of like an essay on salvation. And Paul lays it out, you know, step by step, what salvation is and what happens and all the different parts of that. And the just shall live by faith, you could call his thesis statement, like he's writing a research paper. This is the sentence he's proving in this letter. The just shall live by faith. So the first thing Paul does is prove how uh, it's faith. It's not works. That would be the opposite of faith. And what he's doing is pointing a different spotlight on, on different groups of sinful people to, to show how nobody has any works to stand on whatsoever. The first thing he does to prove salvation is only through Jesus is he sort of cuts everybody down to size. And last week it was the, the regular sins that we talk about in church a lot. And now this week he moves the spotlight to self-righteous religious people. Uh, next week we'll see he talks about you know hypocrites and then everybody. So he's pointing the spotlight on different groups of people to show everybody is sinful, everybody deserves condemnation, nobody has any a leg to stand on as far as their works. Well, that's why we need faith. The just shall live by faith. So today about self-righteousness, not you know your average garden variety sin, but self-righteous sin. There's two types of self-righteousness. There's re- or self-righteousness. There's religious self-righteousness and non-religious self-righteousness. Religious self-righteousness is basically a Pharisee being very concerned with what you look like on the outside. And knowing that you are full of sin on the inside, but since that's hidden, you know, you feel like you're a little better than everyone, you can judge other people, and uh, you're very glad that, you know, the filthiness is hidden inside you instead of exposed like it is with some of the other sinful people. Uh, That's religious self-righteousness. And it's not just, you know, people always accuse Christians of, oh, they're all self-righteous. But it's not just Christians that own self-righteousness. There's non-religious self-righteousness. And that, that looks a little different. If, that's, uh, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you say things like, I'm a pretty good person. That's, that's the definition of self-righteousness. Because what that is, is creating your own standard of righteousness or your own standard of what is a good person. And then judging yourself that you fit those standards and you can declare yourself a good person. And again, that's the definition of self-righteousness. It's not just Christians that are self-righteous, also non-religious. If, if anybody says that, that's a self-righteous statement. I'm a pretty good person. Sometimes uh, people say that. Sometimes it's, you know, I don't really care about sin. I mean, every, sin is part of everybody. Who cares? Nobody's perfect. Again, self-righteous. Uh, it's, you know, feel, not caring about the evil that you do and saying, hey, it's no big deal. I'll declare myself righteous. So there's, all, there's self-righteousness both you know, Christian and non-Christian. And Christianity, though, gives a lot of press to the type of sins we talked about last week. Uh, so as we go into Romans, I'll read the end of chapter 1 just for context. These are the sins we talk about a lot as Christians, but then Paul here, we'll read tonight, moves into the self-righteousness. So we'll, we'll pick up, uh, just to read for context, in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 28, to the end of the chapter. It says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, 
being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And that's the type of sins we look at a lot as Christians. We forget about the inward filthiness, the self-righteousness that makes us sinful in God's eyes. And so both Christians and non-Christians fail to see self-righteousness as sinful as it really is. And one of the problems with self-righteousness is that it leads to judgment. Because when we feel righteous about ourselves, we feel like we can judge other people and say how they're not quite as good as we are. And again, that's what Jesus condemned more than anything. Now, we are self-righteous judges always. Only God judges justly. So tonight, it's self-righteousness, but also God's perfect judgment of that. Where we judge self-righteously according to appearance, God judges perfectly according to truth, according to works, and according to fairness. Are the three big categories we'll look at tonight. So because self-righteousness is sin and will be judged, it must be repented of. And we need to repent of self-righteousness just like we repent of any other type of sin that we just read from chapter 1 of Romans. And repenting literally means a change of thinking, but practically it means turning away from. We need to turn away from self-righteousness to the only one who is righteous, Jesus. And so the first thing we're going to see uh, in Romans chapter 2 about self-righteousness and judgment is that God judges perfectly according to truth. And therefore self-righteousness must be repented of because God judges perfectly according to truth. Again, we judge according to appearance self-righteously. God judges perfectly in one way is according to truth. Uh, So chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 we see how God judges perfectly according to truth. And one of the reasons why is because, well, we don't judge according to truth. We judge according to appearance. And we judge other people for doing the exact same things we do. So the context I just read at the end of verse 1, all those sins, now verses 1 through 3, verse 2, puts everybody in their place. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? And again, we judge self-righteously. And what he's saying is, if we're judging other peoples for committing those sins from the end of chapter 1 of Romans, and we're doing the exact same thing. I mean, do you think God is going to excuse you when you don't even excuse other people and your self-righteous judgment of them? If that's how you're going to judge people, God's not going to excuse you when you won't give mercy to anybody else because of self-righteousness. And he says, we do the exact same things. It may be a different manifestation, but it's the same things. So maybe, maybe you don't look at porn, commit sexual immorality like it says in chapter 1. And you think you're better because you don't do that. And you know some, you know, that's an outward sin that sometimes is easy to see. Hey, but does that mean you never lust after a woman? Hey, it's the same sin. It's a different manifestation. So we're all guilty of the same thing. And if, if you don't drink, it's probably easy to point the finger and say, oh, that guy drinks, he's a sinner. Hey, but what do you do to escape reality or to deal with your problems? Uh, A lot of people turn to food, turn to video games, even good things like working out. It serves the same purpose. So even though it's a a different manifestation, it's the same sin. We're all guilty of the same sins, just in different ways. And that's what he says uh, when he says, you who judge practice the same things. Jesus says, by the measure we judge others, that's how we're going to be judged. So the judgment that we give to other people self-righteously, that's how we will be judged. We can imagine, you know, if every judgmental thing you've ever said about someone since the day you were born, if things like, oh, she's such a gossip, you know, you can't trust that guy, oh, he's so dumb, Uh, I would never say anything like that, Uh, she doesn't deserve forgiveness, saying things like that, any self-righteous judgment you make on someone, imagine if all that was written down, 
And then you stand before God in judgment and say, hey, God, I was a pretty good person in this life. You know, I deserve to get into heaven on my own works because I'm pretty good. And if all he did was read back the way you've judged people and say, okay, well, this is how I'm going to judge you, you'd have no chance. You would have no foot to stand on before a perfect and just God. And that's why the just shall live by faith. We have no works we can stand on. We've made those self-righteous judgments. And if we're judged the same way we judge other people, we're all condemned to hell. And so we judge others for doing the same things we do. We're self-righteous judges. God is a perfect judge. So we see uh, verse 4, it says that God is much more patient with us than we are with people. Another way, we're imperfect judges and he's a perfect one. Verse 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God has every right to judge people. He's perfect. He's the creator of everything. And it's his right to judge because he's a perfect, righteous judge and we're self-righteous judges. And while we're quick to judge, God is patient. And our response to God's patience is to take advantage of it. You know, that's how sinful we are. The fact that God, you know, doesn't strike us dead this moment uh, because of our sinfulness, we think, hey, we're getting away with it. And we don't see God's patience as an act of love, but as a thing to take advantage of. And that's how sinful we are. We think we're getting away with everything. The book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament is written by Solomon, and it's everything about life that kind of that doesn't make sense. It makes life meaningless or not worthwhile because everything's quickly passing. And one of the things that he says that makes life very meaningless is that you see good people are punished or suffer, and the evil people go unpunished. And he says he says that's vanity. And that's uh, meaningless is what it means. Uh, we see that happen a lot. That good people suffer and evil are punished. And this is God's patience. And everybody gets what they, their judgment, well, we shouldn't say everybody. Without Jesus, everybody gets what they deserve. Um, and that eventually is not going to be the case. But for right now, God is judge, or patient in his judgment. And so his response to our sin is to be patient. But our response to God's patience is to sin. Because we think we're getting away with it. And so God sends his son to pay the penalty of that sin, because he's patient and he's loving towards us and he sends his son to be a perfect sacrifice. And it says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That God is being extremely patient with everybody, hoping that everybody's going to turn to him and repent of their you know, regular sins and their self-righteousness too. And to turn away from that and turn to His Son Jesus because He's the only one who... It's faith. The just live by faith, not works. And Jesus provided all that for us. And so God judges perfectly according to truth. We judge people for doing the things that we also do. God is patient with us. We also have to remember that we are all going to be judged. In verse 5... It says, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And there's, everyone is going to be judged in uh, the day of judgment. And Jesus says that we should be storing up treasures for ourselves. And by doing good works, being generous, we should be storing that up for ourselves in, in heaven. What Paul says here in Romans is that through in accordance with our hardness of our hearts and our unrepentance, we're storing up wrath for ourselves because of our self-righteousness. Instead of laying up treasures, we're laying up wrath. That will be revealed one day. So again, no one's getting away with it forever. Just because right now it seems like you're getting away with it doesn't mean that everyone's getting away with it for all eternity. Everything will be judged. Again, God judges according to truth as opposed to how we judge according to appearance, self-righteously. Now, the opposite of truth is relativity. And this is uh, actually a big attack on Christianity in our, in our culture, is that there's no such thing as truth. Everything is relative. And meaning everything is different depending on the situation, depending on the circumstances, depending on the person. Everything is relative. And people say that. And 
how can God judge according to truth if there's no such thing as truth? I mean, the big hole in that argument, though, is if everything is relative, that's not relative. I mean, that's saying that's a fact, that's a truth. So you can't say everything is relative because you're saying, well, everything is relative except that one thing. So God judges according to truth, not relativity. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. I teach in the public school system. And uh, if you were in high school in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, if you have kids in high school, you know, there's a big uh, push for standardized tests. There's lots of kids that have to take a lot of standardized tests, even from, I think, like in second grade, they start. And the government gives these tests to see how the kids are doing and to see if the teachers are doing their jobs. And in those kinds of tests, there's two types of those standardized tests. There's one called a, a criterion reference test. And that's where whoever makes the test, usually the state, sets a standard that says, you need to get over this percentage right, and then you pass. It's criterion reference. So they decide whatever the passing score is. If you get above that, then you pass the test, no matter what everyone else does. That's a criterion reference test. The other type is a norm reference test. And this is uh, like the ACT is a norm reference test. And what that means is uh, it's normalized. So the average score becomes average. And then the, the, any test where it puts someone in a percentile is a norm reference test. So whatever the average score is becomes the 50th percentile. And if you are better than average, depending how much better than average you are, you know, you score higher up on the percentile. If you're below average, you go lower. It's also called grading on a curve. You uh, may remember that. So that's a norm reference test. Uh, It's normalized. Everybody kind of is around the middle, and there's some people way up there, some people way down there. And your score really depends on what everybody else does. If everybody else bombs the test, and the average score is like a 25%, then you get a 30%, you have a B probably on that test. And when we say things like, I'm not as bad as some people, we're thinking God judges on a norm reference test. We think it's compared to other people, and there's some sort of standard. You know, most people fit in there. Most people are pretty good, you know, not too bad. Yeah, there's some really good people, like uh, Mother Teresa or something, and then there's some really bad people like Hitler, but most people are pretty good. They fit in the middle somewhere. And God doesn't judge on a norm. He doesn't grade on a curve. It's criterion reference. There's a passing score, and the passing score is 100%. And nobody gets that on their own. But Jesus got it, and he lets you take his test score, so to speak. It, we, when we, again, when we say things that we're better, you know, I'm not as bad as that person. You know, yeah, you know, I'm, I may have a couple drinks, but this guy, he drinks a six-pack every night. That's thinking God judges on a norm, on a curve, and that's not the case at all. So the problem with self-righteousness isn't just, you know, the world. It's in all of us, and we're all self-righteous. And we all make judgments on people that we have no business making. So again, the point here is we need to you know, recognize the self-righteousness, repent from that, turn away from it, and turn to Jesus, the true judge, the truly righteous person. And so God judges perfectly according to truth, as we just saw, but also God judges perfectly according to works. So in verses 6 through 11, that's what it says. God judges according to works. Uh, it says who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God." When I first read that, I go, oh, wait a minute. The just shall live by faith. And here he's talking about being you know, good works and bad works, and God will render to everyone according to their deeds. You know, what Paul is talking about is not justification. Justification is a good legal standing with God. That's completely by faith. That's the whole point of this book. Kind of the whole point of the New Testament is that our righteousness is only through Jesus. Our justification is only through Jesus. What Paul is writing about is not justification, but judgment. And judgment is according to works. And that's what you know, we'd expect. We expect to get judged according to our works. And that's what it says right here. That good works will be rewarded, and evil works will be punished. And this is, again, judgment, not 
salvation. That's all Jesus. Uh, so good works will be rewarded. In verse 7 and 10, it says that. In verse 7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. And then in verse 10, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so God rewards our good works. Um, and good works will be judged and rewarded even though they don't earn us our salvation. Again, the just shall live by faith. It's all Jesus. But our good works will be judged by God. In 1 Corinthians 3, it makes this beautiful picture of how our works will be judged. It says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And that's how we're judged according to our good works. And it's this awesome picture. He talks about the only foundation is Jesus. You can't build anything except on Jesus. Anything you build that's not on Jesus, has no good in it. In uh, Isaiah 64.6, it says, All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Anything we try to do not built on the foundation of Jesus is a filthy rag to God because it's self-righteous. It's a thing we do to make ourselves feel better. It's a thing we do to think we're good people. It's self-righteous. So the only foundation we can build on is the foundation of Jesus. He's the foundation. And then on that foundation... We build whatever we're building. We could say it's a house. I don't know what he's picturing here. Maybe a house. And we're building that. And this is where we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're supposed to build on the foundation of Jesus and continue in our salvation and do good. There's nothing wrong with doing good. I mean, we uh, talk about as Christians a lot of time, oh, good deed is its own reward. Now, Jesus says all the time, do good things. Lay for yourself treasures in heaven. You'll be rewarded. There's nothing wrong with doing things on the foundation of Jesus for reward. And he encourages that. So he says on that foundation, you're going to build something. You can build with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. And whatever you built at judgment, he says, is going to be tested through fire. And whatever survives that fire, that's a, something you'll be rewarded for. That's a good work that is built on the foundation of Jesus, was done because of obedience to Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit. That'll pass through the fire and that work will remain. But the things we do, even if it's built on Jesus that are self-righteous, that are to build up our own kingdoms rather than God's kingdoms, those things don't survive through the fire. That's the uh, wood, hay, straw. Those things don't survive past that because God sees them and judges according to truth. Those things are done in self-righteousness for our own kingdom, so no reward for that. But the things we do, again, built on Jesus through the Holy Spirit, those are judged for good and rewarded. Uh, The awesome part says, if anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. So if all you have is the foundation of Jesus, you're still saved because he did all the work. Salvation is through him. Even if everything you built on Jesus is burned up in that day, and you didn't do anything really good for God's kingdom, but you knew Jesus, then you still have that foundation. And you'll still be saved, but as through fire. And, you know, we want the rewards. We can work for those rewards. Again, Jesus encourages that. So if you know Jesus, do you live that way, thinking that the good things we do will be judged and tested by fire to see what stands in that day and laying up for yourself treasures in heaven? And that's what's eternally, and you know, we don't know what those rewards are exactly, but we know God is a perfect judge, and God is a loving God, and whatever it's going to be is going to be awesome. Um, and good works, again, they're building God's kingdom, not your own kingdom. He didn't, God didn't choose us for salvation so that we can read our daily devotional and say, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm done. But to build on that foundation, to build good works, to do things for His kingdom, be, you know, going out into the world and doing, and not just being you know, self-absorbing, even self-righteous in our salvation. Again, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus before your good works are going to mean anything. Without that foundation, it doesn't mean anything. 
So good works will be rewarded. Yeah, that's good. We like that. Evil works will be punished. And we also like that too as Christians. It says in uh, verses 8 and 9, But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. And, and what, as far as God's judgment of evil, and this is a great comfort as Christians that we can trust not only in God's love, but also in God's judgment and His justice. And we know whatever happens, if we leave it up to Him, just like He loves perfectly, He will judge perfectly, and He will take care of all of it. Everybody's going to get, well, not, I shouldn't say that, not everybody's going to get what they deserve. Christians don't get what they deserve, because we deserve hell and condemnation, and what we get is eternal life. But outside of that, what we get is what we sow. Uh, so everything will be paid for justly. Either the person who did whatever evil is going, to be, is going to be paying for that, or Jesus paid for it. And God is a perfect judge, and He doesn't punish people twice. So if you accept Jesus' payment for the evil you've done, then you don't have to suffer punishment because Jesus already did. You don't have to endure wrath because Jesus already did. God doesn't do double jeopardy. He doesn't condemn the same crime twice. Either you're going to pay for it, or Jesus is going to. Now, many non-Christians don't like this idea because they, they think it's cheap. Like, you can do as much evil as you want all your life, and as long as you turn to Jesus, then you'll get heaven automatically, and you can even keep doing the, you know, whatever terrible things you're doing. But that's not true Christianity. A true Christianity, being a real Christian, it's very important to understand what are the fruits of being a Christian, the fruits of the Spirit. It's not just one time when you were in youth camp and you said, I commit my life to Christ, and then you do the rest of your life however you want. That's not being a Christian. That's uh, it's a self-righteous thing. It's turning to Him and saying, okay, now my sins are forgiven, now I can do whatever I want. And so it's not cheap grace. If you're going to turn to Jesus, it's hard. And it, just about every time in the Gospels someone wants to follow Jesus, what He says is, are you cut out for it? It's hard. It's not committing your life to Him like you're joining some sort of club. It's surrendering your life to Him and you're laying it down and choosing to follow Him because He's the righteous one. And so this is a great comfort to those of us who know Jesus because yes, good works will be rewarded, evil works will be punished, but if you know Jesus, if you're a Christian, you will, be, uh, you will stand before God and have to give an account of everything you've done. The Bible teaches that. It, even Christians have to do that. The difference is we're not judged for the evil that we've done. We give an account for it, but then we're pardoned. It's kind of like the idea of uh, time served. And this is when you are convi- you're, uh, accused of a crime, and you go to court, and you're found guilty of that crime, but then the judge says, well, the sentence is time served. You're guilty, but you're free to go. You've already served your time. You've already done whatever it takes. That's kind of like what it is with Jesus. We are guilty. We do stand before God guilty, but we are pardoned. We're free to go. We're free to enter the kingdom because of what Jesus did. Because Jesus already paid the penalty for that. And if you're interested in paying your own penalty, you're not a good enough sacrifice anyway. So you're not going to, it's not like you pay your penalty for 20 years and then you did your time and you get to go to heaven. No, you're not a good enough sacrifice for that. Don't be self-righteous. Your punishment is eternal. That's what the Bible teaches. And a lot of people, again, don't like this idea that we're judged. But the irony about this is, if we don't like the fact that God judges, then we're judging God. And we say, I would be a better judge than God, which is very self-righteous, like we're talking about. To say, you're a better judge than God, I'm going to judge God for judging people. And so what happens then is people, you know, they don't like that idea, they make up a new God, a false idol, that'll make them feel better about whatever they're doing, and then judge themselves righteous on their standard, like we talked about. It's saying, here's the standard I came up for righteousness, and I think I'm a good person. God judges perfectly according to our works. He judges perfectly according to truth, our works. And thirdly, God judges perfectly according to fairness. Uh, Verses 12 through 16, it says, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. 
For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. He's saying God judges perfectly fair as well. He says uh, the hearers of the law will be judged by the law. It says that in the second part of verse 12 and verse 13, as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. He said, what does that mean? He's talking about you know, God's Old Testament law. God created a law, you know, 600 some rules that he said, you know, this is what you follow. This is what you do because you're sinful and you need, you know, this path to show what's sinful and what's not. And he even, he know, knew people were going to break that law because the purpose of the law was never to keep it, but to reveal how everyone's a sinner. The, the laws we're most familiar with are the Ten Commandments. And so because God knew everyone was going to break those laws, he provided a sacrificial system to cover those sins. And you could, you know, confess your sins on an animal and the blood would cover the sins, you know, which is a picture of Jesus. Uh, and he's the perfect sacrifice. And but God's law was never meant to be followed for salvation. And this is a thing the Pharisees missed, even though they knew the Bible better than anyone. It, the law was meant to point to Jesus, to say, I cannot keep the law, I cannot keep God's commandments, I need a Savior because I'm sinful, I'm self-righteous. And also, I know the sins we've talked about last week from Romans 1, it's sinful, thoroughly sinful. And he says, the hearers of the law will be judged by the law. And now, in America, we all know the law, at least the Ten Commandments, and so we are going to be judged by that. And we're familiar enough with it that it's fair of God to judge us by what He said, because we all know it. And the law does not justify you. The law does not give you right legal standing with God. Following the Ten Commandments, nobody has done that perfectly. And the point of that is to show that you need Jesus. Um, yeah, the law is meant to show you cannot... Uh, wait, what am I saying? Let's just go on, because I don't know what I meant by that. So, uh, yeah, the hearers of the law are judged by the law. And we know what God's will is. Even people who've never been to church, have heard of the Ten Commandments, are judged by it. But God is fair. He says that those who do not know the law will be judged by their conscience. In verse 12, first part of verse 12, it says... For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And then in uh, verses 14 and 15, it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So even if you've never heard of the Ten Commandments, never heard anything about God's laws, we all still have a conscience. And this is a great gift that God has given to people to reveal Himself, that people have a conscience. And without God, that doesn't make any sense. And there's a lot of you know, scientific things and you know, evolution and where did life come from. And to try to reconcile why there's a conscience, why people care about certain things, when from like an evolutionary natural selection standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. And so one of the great things that can point us to God is we all have a conscience. The same things are wrong in every culture and every time. And I mean, there's some small variations, but for the most part, the same things are wrong all across the world. And again, it doesn't make sense unless there's someone who gave that law, if there's a law giver. Yeah. So why, uh, why would certain things universally be wrong? And why would we... Why would we want to do certain good things if there were no outside standard? Again, according to evolution, we shouldn't care that there's starving people halfway around the world. We should actually be glad about that because it gives us a bigger chance to thrive. That's what natural selection teaches. Uh, we shouldn't care if we cheat or steal because hey, whatever is going to benefit us, that's, you know, that's what it's all about. And the fact that those are wrong in every culture, and it's the conscience, you're judged by your conscience here, it says you've never heard of the law. So if you don't believe in God, you know, why is it wrong to molest children? Why is it wrong 
to break into an old lady's house, kill her, steal her valuables? Why is it wrong to rape women? Why is it wrong to do those things in every culture and every time period if there's no God? And without that perspective, that doesn't make sense. So at that point, you have a choice. If you don't, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know God's law, and you're going to be judged by your conscience, you can choose to self-righteously say, hey, I'm a good person. Like we've talked about, a lot of people tell themselves that lie. That's one choice. You could say, uh, it doesn't really matter. Ignore it. You know, who cares? Other people you know, are worse than me. Or to actually admit that your evil has a consequence and that there needs to be a solution to it and turn from that and turn to Jesus. And Christianity is the only worldview that takes the evil we do as seriously as we should. Because every other philosophy and worldview says, you can be your own savior pretty much. You can do enough good things, and you're basically a good person. And so it's not, when we see all the evil, and then we say you can save yourself, that doesn't, that doesn't go together. Christianity says the world is evil, and you're part of it, and you can't save yourself, so you need Jesus. And that's the only thing that takes evil as seriously as it should. It, finally, verse 16, we see that nothing, God judges fairly and nothing is secret from God. It says, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. And nothing is secret from God in judgment. In Romans chapter 14, it says, But why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Like I was saying earlier, even as Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus and give an account for our lives. The difference is the evil we've done is going to be pardoned because it's already been paid for by Jesus. Uh, Everyone will be judged and our secret lives will be exposed. But again, those who accept Jesus' payment will be pardoned. But this is one of those verses I don't think you know, we truly believe this as Christians. Because I know there's people you know, who are getting drunk and getting high and thinking they get away with it. I know that there's people who are having sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend who are looking at porn. And I know there's people who think they're better than everyone else because your sins aren't mentioned as, not, as much in church. And if we truly believed our secret life was going to be judged, I think we would make some pretty big adjustments to what we do. And those things are all going to come forward before Jesus. And even though as Christians we're not going to be condemned for those, that's going to be exposed. And that should motivate us to know it's not a secret life. There's no part you're hiding from God. And the great thing about this as a result is that at judgment no one is going to complain. It says that in the Bible. Even as people are being condemned to hell, no one's going to complain because God is a perfect judge who judges perfectly according to truth, works, and fairness. And everybody who's going to hell is going to know why they're going there. And it says in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Neither you can do it now in this life or you can do it as you're being condemned to hell and agreeing with God why you deserve to go there. He's a perfect, perfect judge. Uh, So we need to repent of our self-righteousness because that's sinful and will be judged. So, self-righteousness. Let's end this by going back to Luke. And Jesus has an awesome parable about self-righteousness. And then we'll uh, call it a night. In Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Jesus directly addresses this self-righteousness and how we are not equipped to judge anybody and we should leave that to God. He says, starting in verse 9 of chapter 18, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, who thought they were self-righteous, and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, this is Jesus saying the Pharisee is not going home justified. The Pharisee who thought he had it all figured out, who was outwardly clean, but inwardly filthy, that guy's not going home justified. The one going home justified is the tax collector sinner who's ripping people off, working for the Roman government and extorting money from people. That guy, by knowing who he is, he's the one going home justified. And we don't have Pharisees. Well, I mean, we kind of do, but not like in those days. And tax collectors aren't the same thing, but we do the same thing. So let's put this today. Okay, so if you're you know, driving down the street and a guy in a jacked up pickup you know, drop, pulls up next to you and his, he has huge tires, and I don't know, I'm not a, not a car guy, he has pipes, he's got them rims, I don't know, and you say, hey, thank you God, I'm not worldly like that guy, and I'm not into possessions like that guy. Okay, but that guy in the truck may be saying, God, I don't deserve any of this, thank you. Who's the one going home justified? Hey, the guy in the truck who looks like he's worldly, or you, the self-righteous guy, judging him? Or what if uh, you're taking a trip to Walmart, and as you usually see there, you see a mom teeing off on her kid, and just yelling at her kid so hard, and you say, hey God, thank you, I'm not like that mom, and I have patience with my kids, and I don't yell at my kids like she does. Hey, that's self-righteous. And what if that mom is saying, God, forgive me for yelling at my kids, give me patience, Who's the one going home justified? The one that we thought was outwardly filthy and sinful. And maybe you're at a restaurant and you see, see a guy you, you know, wearing makeup and kind of in feminine clothing and you say, God, thank you that I follow your commands on sexuality and I'm not messed up like that guy. And that guy's saying, God, help me repent of this. I need to turn away from this. Who's going home justified? Hey, it's the one who knows he's a sinner the one who turns to Jesus, not the one who's self-righteously judging people because their sins are obvious and mine are hidden. Hey, that guy doesn't go home justified. And Jesus said he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And it's much more spiritually dangerous to be self-righteous than to be sinful and know it and repent of it and work on it. And this, you know, when I read this section of scripture read tonight, I feel very convicted because this is me. I'm much more of a self-righteous Pharisee kind of guy than a, you know, the type you read about last week. And I can get very self-righteous. And before I was a Christian, very self-righteous. You know, and I didn't do anything. I, uh, you know, what we were starting to drink like every night, not doing anything with my life, looking at porn, not doing anything. And I would say, hey, I'm better than other people. I got to figure it out. And even now, you know, repenting of those things, but still my tendency is to judge people and say, oh, my filthiness is inward, so it's easy for me to judge. But Paul's point here is nobody has the works to stand on. Nobody can judge someone like that. Self-righteousness is just as sinful, if not more so, than uh, you know, the, the types of sins we usually talk about in church. So it's not a question, I mean, yeah, I say, you know, I'm self-righteous. So is everybody else. And so it's not, are you self-righteous? It's, how are you self-righteous? And then what are you going to do about it? Uh, some people will choose, like we've said, to be self-righteous about their self-righteousness and say, I'm a pretty good person. That's one response you could do. Or you could be remorseful, like the Bible says, worldly sorrow. can feel really bad. Oh, I shouldn't be judging people. But that's basically it. Or repentant. Turning to Jesus, the one who is righteous, and asking Him for help in the Holy Spirit to be not self-righteous, but self-debased. And perhaps the worst thing, and just to close tonight, about self-righteousness, maybe the worst thing is that it robs God of the glory that He deserves. And when we're self-righteous, then we become self-centered, and we take away from God's glory that He deserves. And... We think we're better than we are, and in turn, we think God is smaller than He is. And we see this all the time. We say, sometimes we illustrate salvation like, you know, it's like you're in an ocean, and you're in the middle of nowhere, and you're drowning, and God threw out a lifesaver, and you just have to grab onto it. No, I mean, that, that's self-righteous. That's saying, I'm better than I think. I'm just drowning. I haven't died yet. 
and God isn't that powerful that He has to send a lifesaver and I have to reach onto it. That's not salvation. Salvation, biblically, is we're in the ocean and we're dead. We're on the ocean floor and we have no life in us. And God puts life into us and brings us up and puts us back on the boat. To to be self-righteous makes God smaller than He is. And our God is bigger than that. Our God doesn't just throw us a life preserver and say, hey, just reach on and come in. He goes down into the depths and brings us back to life because He's bigger than we could ever imagine and we're really worse than we could ever hope. Uh, And that's our God. In this life, we're not going to give God the glory that He deserves, but still repent of self-righteousness and give Him the glory because He's worthy of all praise, honor, and worship. Let's pray. Father, I, I just come before You tonight to... Uh, Just ask for the Holy Spirit and all of us to help us repent of our self-righteousness, to see in our lives where we're judging people when we shouldn't, to see where we're being self-righteous when we should just be depending on you, God, and to see even where we're making you smaller than we are and trying to put you in our little box and not seeing you for how glorious you are. And thank you, Jesus, that you came to pay the price for my self-righteousness and the whole world's that if we would turn to you, you would excuse, you would pardon us of the evil we've done when we're being judged. And Holy Spirit, if there's anyone who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't accepted that, Lord, I pray you would open their eyes to see that even not accepting Jesus is a self-righteous thing and to turn to him and to repent of that and uh, live forever in you, God. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.